Did you uh, share those notes today there, Mr. Chris? Now, okay. What, uh, there are no notes? Oh, beautiful. Let's start beautiful. the show. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a good part to it. start the show right there, then. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 176 for December 20th, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's currently celebrating its last live production of the year. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. There is a tradition on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network that we don't always choose to take advantage of, but from time to time, and I feel like this is the year we're going to do it. Oh, yeah. No rule shows, the last live show. Anything these, could happen. These are probably going to be awful, and so it's it's why we never do it like this. We never do it like this, but if there was any show to go, no rules, no prep. It's this show. And it kind of worked out because uh, I have like this this debilitating carpal tunnel in both my hands oh, right no. now. It's, I don't mean to be laughing. It's the worst it's the thing ever. the only way to deal. Like, it is like I can't even like lift up the bowl of cereal wow. or put my seatbelt on. It's So I thought, well, what a great day not to have to put a dock together. Yeah, right? No typing. What a great excuse no pain. to just not worry about it. So coming up on this week's episode, we're going to throw out the playbook. We're going to look at the worst of 2016. What was the worst in Linux in 2016? We're going to talk about some of that. Then we're going to look forward to 2017. Jack Wallen's got an article that actually got me thinking about what might be coming down the pipe. Not a full-fledged predictions episode, but I want to give the virtual lug a chance to chime in before we sail into 2017. And then, at the end of the show, like a maniac, I'm going to hand the reins over to Noah. What? And he's going to answer some calls and uh, chat small business and GNU slash Linux. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's new. And uh, they're going to talk about it on the phone. Get in, take, just get in there and take calls. So why don't we get started by bringing in that virtual lug? Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. Pip, pip. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, hey, guys, thanks for being here on our uh, last episode of the year. That's uh, it's not really the last one because uh, tomorrow, tomorrow to next Tuesday we'll have a we'll have a clip show of all, all the different stuff throughout the year, which is a great one, by the way. If you want to spread Linux Unplugged for the holidays, toss them a clip show. You know it's going to be good. There's all a, your favorite moments. It's going to be passable, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's going to be good. The beard won't hate yourself after. The beard's been sprinkling his uh, beard magic. Ooh, so much. All, beard. all magic. over it. Yeah. So I didn't want to have any rules. I wanted to let the mumble room and the conversation go any direction it goes. So I thought I'd kind of cue us up with a couple of things, and then we're just gonna. I'm gonna do the reads for all the sponsors here in a minute. Just do them all right here at the top of the show. All right. And we're just gonna do them, and then however long the show goes, it goes. Uh, and we're going to call it good. We're going to call it good. Hey, uh, checking in with Grand Forks, North Dakota. Noah, are you on the line? Are you there? Are you live, sir? Over. Uh, Mr. Over. Chris, uh, <laughs> I might be a bit excessive. I may be on my phone, but I, I don't think we have to. I don't think we have to have like a transition of speaking and, and, and thinking. I think we can handle that. Over. 10-4, good, buddy. Yeah, 10-4, Noah. <laughs> Get out the telegraph. Get out the telegraph. Yeah, well, come on, Noah. So what's going on over there? Are you Are you getting set up to take calls here in a little bit on the show? Well, I spent uh, I spent a little bit of time getting some levels tweaked and and getting some equipment set up. I'm actually on my phone because I've used up all of my audio interfaces in the studio, and I don't want to monkey with any of the levels. But <laughs> oh my god! Over. Okay, all right, good. Well, it's setting the bar high. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna shut down production at some point and then do a quick little swaparoo and bring up Grand Forks. Uh, wait, hey, hold on a second. Where's my hair? Let's. Uh, this is just something that I just so we have the context in which Noah is working right now. I feel like it'd be useful for us to know 
What's the temperature in Grand Forks, North Dakota right now? Nice. It's 29 degrees in Grand Forks right now. Not bad. No, wow. Jeez. Jeez. Congratulations, Noah. I'm really happy for you, man. That's some good news. So, yeah. Okay, good. I feel like we got a good show. We got a good show on our hands here today. I'm ready to dive into the worst of 2016. And I thought uh, I had a, I had like I, I think I, what I want to do is I want to I want to set the bar as to what I think was the worst thing that could have happened to a tech company in 2016, and then we want to talk within the context of Linux about that. So I've got a couple of ideas, but I feel like once we really get the ball rolling, that's when we're going to get some stuff. So that'll probably be thanks to the mumble room. They'll probably be doing some of the heavy lifting there. But why don't we? Uh, so let's do this. Are you ready, Wes? Oh, I'm ready. Do you feel like you've bought you prepared your body for this? Well, we'll see. Well, there's only one way to find out, and that's by doing. So let's thank the folks that sponsored this show all year long. And I really appreciate Linux Academy, and I appreciate those of you who visited linuxacademy.com slash unplugged this year, or those of you who plan to soon. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. That's where you go to sign up for a platform to train you all about Linux. And when you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, you can get a seven-day free trial. Courseware is... Great. It's constantly being improved. The virtualization system is slick. They spin up these systems on demand when you need them. The servers match the distributions you've chosen for the courseware automatically. They have content availability planning. They have instructors you can speak to when you need actual human help, but hot off the presses right here, Wes. This week, got an email. I mean, I got a uh, press announcement. No, it's just an email I got here from Anthony, and he says, uh, here's a couple of new courses we've got working on over at uh, Linux Academy. Machine Learning with Azure, PowerShell Essentials. Now, this, these two first ones right here are fascinating to me because they are on Linux Academy's Linux platform. It's using these tools in combination with Linux, which that really... If that wow. doesn't tell you 2016, right? It doesn't that the fact that Linux Academy PowerShell on Linux on Linux Academy. This is really. I mean, when I saw this, I thought, "Wow, Linux." Wow. This and it also tells you how they stay up to date with what stuff people are actually got looking for to learn. Right on the bulls. Mm-hmm. They also have uh, launched their iOS and Android apps this year, which is a great way to train when you're on the go. And they're launching serverless concepts, which was cool because they started with a live stream where you can join the instructors uh, from Linux Academy, a couple different ones, as they discuss serverless concepts and get you started with that. They have new live labs that get you started with AWS. This is one of the things I think is really great because it's not just the essentials. It's like the stuff that is really big high-level services stuff like AWS and Azure and OpenStack and Docker and the things that you know, look really great on a resume, too. And they help you get those certifications you might need as well. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Also, thank you to Ting for sponsoring the show this year. Wow, Linux.Ting.com. I love being able to say that. Go there oh, yeah. and save. You know, the reason why Ting has been a sponsor for so long on this show now is really simple economics. This kind of mobile model makes a lot of sense, and our audience gets it. And so they keep going to Ting because it saves them money. And so because Ting keeps getting customers, they keep sponsoring us. Linux.ting.com. It's a great relationship because what we're trying to tell you about here isn't something that's some big scam. It's not some big complicated system or it's not some sort of incentive program where I undermine net neutrality, but I do it with a leather jacket, so I tell you it's cool. It is a really good mobile carrier that has CDMA and GSM networks. You pick which one works better for you and you pay for what you use. Minutes, messages, megabytes. Whatever you use, that's all you owe. And $6 for the line plus Uncle Sam's take. 
Uncle Sam's got to have a little percentage. It varies in your area. He's got his hands in your pockets. But for me, it's usually almost always under 40 bucks. Almost yeah. always. Every now and then, like when I'm on the road or something like that, it might go up to 55, 60 bucks for three phones. For three phones wow. with no contract. I love it. You can bring a device or you can go grab one. Go to linux.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring your program. You see, when I say it like that, it changes it up. It changes it. Yeah. It's like a fresh new code. Yeah, and if you weren't a long-time listener, you might not have any you idea have no what I'm idea. saying. So it's only for the people in the know. All right. And then our last sponsor and one that's also been with us all year, and I'm super, super thankful to DigitalOcean. Oh, yeah. Now, DigitalOcean, the one thing that you can really tell about DigitalOcean is it's just about everybody in our audience has a reason to use DigitalOcean. Charum's always talking about it. People write in the emails. We're not only reading the emails that talk about DigitalOcean or something like that. It's just what people are using because it's such a simple and fast and easy way to spin up a Linux system on their great infrastructure in less than 55 seconds. All SSDs for the storage, 40 gigabit E connections to the hypervisors. They run Linux, of course. It's KVM for the oh, virtualizer. Yeah. I love that. And if you've ever wanted to see what a real nice web application can be to manage actual really high-end server-type things, DigitalOcean's got the proto-example. You go there, it's like, oh, oh, they managed to put Johnny Ive in a box. They put Johnny Ive in a box, and he spit out this interface, and that's why Apple hasn't gotten anything for years now out of him, because he's too busy working for DigitalOcean. It's the only thing that makes sense. Plus, their API is built for humans. They really did something good here, and there's so much crazy great open source built around that. Go check them out, digitalocean.com. Just use a promo code from us for you. D-O unplugged. One word, lowercase, apply to your account after you get started, or even if you had an account for a while. Get $10 credit. Digitalocean.com. Thanks for using the promo code D-O unplugged. Okay. Now, the rest of the show is open Whoa. for however the conversation goes. So let's start talking about the worst of 2016. Now, this next example is not Linux-specific, but I thought it set such a good benchmark. Okay. okay. Like, it can't get worse than this. So this is the worst. This is the very the worst of 2016. The, now the what? Go. I said go. Frightening headline about your smartphone. Samsung delaying shipments of its Galaxy Note 7 amid reports of exploding batteries. And that announcement sending their stock plummeting. ABC's Rebecca Jarvis is here with the latest. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Amy. Multiple consumers have now complained of explosions of their Galaxy Note 7 devices. Take a look at this. Some are sharing these pictures of their burnt out phones online. Samsung says that shipments are being delayed due to additional tests being conducted for product quality. And there's no word on on exactly what caused the problems. but When you go to the airport today still, you hear warnings about how you can't bring a Note 7, a Samsung right? Galaxy Note 7 on the plane, and it's played over the loudspeaker at the entire airport. That is embarrassing. There's no, I mean, Apple had a bad MacBook. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't, that hasn't come out of Google that we were hoping for, but nobody really had products that were blown up in your pockets like Samsung did. And what's interesting now is we do have kind of a picture of what happened. Did you hear about this? No. I'm behind the times. A third-party contractor was brought in by Samsung to investigate what was causing the explosions. And their analysis was is that Samsung left insufficient room for battery growth. When the battery heats up, Ooh. it expands. And when the battery cools, right. it contracts. Well, when it's doing that super fast charging, it expands because it gets hot. And when it, I guess part of what caused the problem is it would expand, breach, some sort of rupture happened and then, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know what happens from there to cause this to explode, but that was the core Undefined issue. Undefined behavior. Whew. 
Woo. And, you know, Samsung, they, they just really didn't have a response out of the gate. No. The, no. No. It really did not feel like they were, you know, they didn't, they didn't embrace it. They weren't out there already with the report. It's, it took a long time to feel like they were really responding or trying to respond. Yeah. I tell you, that is, that is a, uh, <laughs> that is the worst case for a company like Samsung. And it, and it allowed for uh, like the Apple iPhone to yeah. essentially be totally lackluster without a headphone jack and still do very well because people were like, well, I'm done. I'm, I'm done sure with Google this. was happy about that yeah. with their Pixel release. <laughs> William just randomly wanted to jump in there and yep. say hi, I think. So are you there, William? Are you good? Are you okay? Are you all right? I think something happened. We need happened. you in 2017. Don't hurt yourself. I think something happened. I think somebody just busted in William's house. Are you okay? Are you all right? It was a Samsung Galaxy Note. <laughs> I think so. Yep, just I, exploded right there. Jeez. So what a I, shame. I want to transition from general technology, and I want to. I don't really. It's not. I'm not here to talk about Samsung. You killed that show this year. Remember? Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's the bell? Where? Come on, Wes. That's a. You're right. Bellworthy. That was bellworthy. Uh, so I, I thought maybe we'd stop. We'd just stop right there and just talk Linux and talk worst of 2016. And I don't. I don't want this to be a bitch fest. This is just like you know. This is, in, this is kind of in good fun, really. It's in good fun. And there's, there are a few that we could start with. And I thought maybe to do that, we'd look at the 2017 list that uh, Jack Wallen put together. Because this one jumped out at me right at the top. Canonical finally exits the phone market. He just went right for it. Wow. He says, I give Canonical credit. They tried. Hard. Unfortunately, Ubuntu phone missed the mark on nearly every possible level. The idea for the interface was the uh, the idea for the interface was doomed from the beginning. Speaking in past tense. Wow. Yeah. In past tense here, uh, and it couldn't gain any traction in the already saturated market. However, I do believe their dream of convergence can be fixed, and it begins with Android. Instead of focusing so much effort on getting Ubuntu phone in a position where it can make the convergence between desktop and mobile, Canonical might well sell their sites, or I'm sorry, set their sites on integrating this functionality into Android. Regardless of what happens with Convergence, in 2017, we will see Canonical return their focus to what they do best, the desktop and server market. What do you think of that? Is that too strong, or do you... Boy, I don't know. It's not original, is it? This is not the first journalist in the Linux and open source. I think I saw these written in 2015 about 2016, too, though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I've seen other journalists say it for next year as well. And to some extent it's true because it's been announced that, you know, Canonical are stepping back from working on mobile devices to consolidate all of the work that's been done on Unity 8 around the desktop. So that will take some time. Whether or not there's another device this year, I don't know, for mobile. But it's now bringing all of that work that happened in Unity unity 8 to the desktop and everyone's working on that right now yeah so to me it feels a bit um hollow it feels to actually here's a better way to, but to me it feels a bit cookie cutter like it's uh it's a, it's a cookie cutter argument that somebody else has already made a stencil for and you can stamp it out and you can mold it into your project or your article pretty easily like what i'm trying to get at here is it feels like it sort of it sort of misses the mark on a couple of things in its analysis. Um, first of all, it sort of seems to not acknowledge the work that mobile forced Canonical to think about, like transactional updates right, and yeah. uh, snap packages. I mean, a lot of the reason for 
Vermeer, right, was involved with their mobile stuff. And, and also, I think the other thing that if if Canonical, oh, hold on, I'll come back to that because that mirror thing is a great point. But I want to. The other thing that I think that sort of it underplays is uh, their their total refocusing and retooling around QT or Qt, which uh, is going to long term make a huge. Huge differentiator for the Unity desktop. Like it's gonna be, a, it's gonna be its own thing that developers will go after. It's gonna be, it's the Unity desktop is gonna stand out from GNOME and Plasma, not because of the toolkit that it's using, but because it will not be like any other desktop. Unity Seven already stands out as its own unique thing, mm-hmm. but in most cases, it feels like a GNOME desktop. It feels yeah. like a GTK environment. I believe once Unity 8 is in a good usable spot on the desktop, and I don't know when that'll be, but when it arrives, I believe it will stand out as a completely, totally differentiating product. Canonical going their own way. Yeah, and not in a bad way. No, not in a bad way. And so I think it totally um, undersells the, the, the massive tide change that is happening, that it's only happening because of the work and investment in mobile. And I don't even think you necessarily kill off mobile. You just make it as part of a wider strategy. Yeah. So you take the crap you've built to support that and you integrate it with the wider product strategy. So that rather than pushing mobile mobile first, it's, uh, hey, also mobile. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's this tool set, this platform will work across this device this whole, range. Right. This, it's, don't even think of it in hardware terms. Think of it more in terms of screen size. Mm-hmm. That's like, what do you think of that, Wimpy? Is that way off the mark? No. No, it's not way off the mark at all. Yeah, okay, so that's so that's the I think it's possible we could say they're exiting the phone market in terms of additional partnerships with or aggress making continuing aggressive partnerships mm-hmm. with hardware and manufacturers. What to expect in the next in the I don't months. I don't know if you can even say that. All I know yeah. is that engineering is focused around pulling everything that's happened in Unity 8 to the desktop right now. And uh, as far as I know um, the work on mobile has just been paused to allow that to happen, as in mobile software development has been paused. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that another device manufacturer couldn't come along, want to do a device, and the platform's there and ready to use. There's been there's been an interesting shift happening, and I wonder where the market's going to be once Unity 8 arrives for end users. Because in in the background, there is there's a big shift happening with the popularity of Ubuntu Mate, there is a lot of energy around projects like Solus right now and uh, Elementary OS. There is a lot of energy and discussion there where there is some, especially in the case of Elementary OS and in the case of Matei, there is, some, there is definitely some direct connections to Ubuntu. So they're not totally their own things, but they're kind of gaining speed and popularity and size as – the more, more and more, the desktops people are are are, are interested in what the things people are talking about, things with high yeah. momentum. So where's that going to be once Unity Eight actually arrives? It, are, is it going to be too late? Are people going to have moved on, or will it will will well, will we all be ready for something fresh again? Yeah, and be, I don't know. I think it's interesting think too because last year we were talking community. about this. Oh, sorry, go on, Ron. I think the the community talks about not liking Unity, but I think a lot more people actually use Unity than don't. Overall, in the grand scheme of how many people use Ubuntu and don't care enough to change their DE, or even know if they could, I think I would argue that I would I would argue that Unity has the best multi-monitor support of any desktop operating system out there, and this is coming from somebody who just dumped Unity for GNOME. Yeah, there's that. I would say the only people who don't like Unity are fussy Linux users. 
because every regular person I've ever given it to, they have two impressions. Yeah, this is great. It works fine. Why are you asking? It's it's fine. Right. They don't have the yep. concept of that they really have a choice, right? So, I've, I've had that exact same yeah. experience. Yeah. I just, I, we, you know, Noah and I just put a Linux box in for Hadia at her clinic, and she has an employee that sits down there. She sits down there and uses it. Literally did not even did not even say anything to her. She just sits down and uses it. She sees the icons on the side. That's great. She can do the printing. She can do the scanning. She does it. It's fine. All the buttons are in the right place. We've literally never had a conversation. And then when I finally asked her, how's the computer working? She goes, she looks at me like I'm crazy. It's, it's fine. Should I? Is something wrong with it? Why yeah. are you asking? Yeah. You know what did not come out of her mouth? Well, I really can't stand Unity. I really, I wish it was GNOME 3. Did you put KDE on here? Yeah, that was not what came out of her mouth. So <laughs> we definitely live in a bubble when, when it comes to these things. Just a little well, bit. The original argument about the guy saying that it's there, it's an exit from it. You could have just say that it's a they're developing a convergence concept because they already had a desktop in, uh, environment built and they already had the server infrastructure built. So in order to do the convergence, they needed to work on the mobile. So now that they're getting closer and closer to the convergence, they can work less on mobile and more on the other stuff. So just make just changing slight direction doesn't mean that they're going to completely abandon it. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of interesting. I think we would have talked last year uh, about, you know, how we saw them focusing on mobile and how we liked what they were doing on the desktop, but they we wanted to see more focus in that area. So it's almost kind of like an old Intel TikTok kind of thing where, hey, now we're back on the desktop. Maybe that means, you know, if it's a bad thing for 2016, maybe it means there'll be some good things in 2017 to be excited about. You know, and also we've just watched so many different uh, vendors or uh, hardware makers or whoever just lose their ass in mobile. So it just doesn't yes. look as awesome of a market no, it as it doesn't. used to. So as a company, they're probably going, well, <laughs> uh, maybe we'll just let them eat each other. You know. We've got this cloud thing, desktop thing, enterprise mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think of Jack's next point then? You ready for this one? Ooh, let's hear it. Yeah. So I think he, because, you know, we kind of we, we kind of were hard on that one. So this one might be a little different. Elementary OS will gain significant ground. He says, I'm not trying to be partial here, but I believe partially due to Canonical's failed foray into the phone space, elementary OS will become a much bigger player by the end of 2017. There's a good reason for that. Elementary OS is an amazing flavor of Linux. It's very user-friendly. It's beautifully designed, and it makes working with, it makes working with Linux very easy. Uh, he goes on to also to say that uh, Elementary OS currently stands at number five on DistroWatch with the ranking. And he says by the end of the year, uh, he believes it will just be under number a bit number two under Mint. I just it's interesting. I just read another article today too that thinks that part of the reason they people were speculating about uh, where, where did I see this? People were speculating about what will take Linux to get to five percent yes. desktop market mm-hmm. share. And one of the things in that speculation on Reddit, I was yeah 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 was uh, one of the spec one of the things in there was that uh, elementary OS would play a significant part in growth. This is two people now saying elementary OS is going to play a significant role in twenty seventeen. For growth. I don't think just elementary OS either. I think elementary OS are doing great things and they are very squarely focused on, you know, the uh, Windows and Mac users who are looking to switch to Linux. But I think the other two distributions that will also grow in popularity are going to be Solus and KDE Neon, but specifically it's LTS version that they've just announced. Really? You think that you think you think so? Tell me more why. Well, you those three projects all have something in common. They're, they've all well, elementary's been around for a long time, but it's really sort of come of age in sort of the, the this last release that they've put put out. It really sort of really felt like it was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But um, 
there's a lot of buzz around Solus and KDE Neon, and I think that people are tempted to those to try them. And I think what I've seen is a lot of Arch Linux users who are tired of curating their own system moving to more cutting-edge curated desktop operating systems. Mm. Mm. So I, I think elementary for you know those people that just want something that works and is stylish and has you know got familiar workflows and Solus and KDE Neon for the enthusiasts, pro- probably most of our audience, um, who are looking for something new and shiny that's uh, got all the bells and whistles. You know, that's interesting because Neon's been tugging at my uh, distro uh, hopping uh, gene, or whatever it is in me that makes me want to constantly move around. It's getting, it's, it's tugging on that note again, saying, hey, come over here to KDE Neon land. Come over here to Katie Neon. And X-Metal in the chat room says, well, what's the difference between Neon LTS and Kubuntu? Where, 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 where's the line there? What do you think, Ron? Oh, well, the biggest, the biggest thing about the difference between Kubuntu and Neon is Kubuntu does the six-month thing with, with Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Neon is, is based only on the LTS 16.04. So there's the, that's the, the biggest difference. But also the <coughs> Plasma desktop updates in Neon the day it releases. Okay. Like Ubuntu is uh, is is months behind usually. So they like there was a post recently about how you can get the latest Plasma five point eight in Ubuntu with the Kubuntu uh, backports. Well, if you had Neon, you'd already have it months hmm. ago. Yeah. So yeah. like the the difference between the LTS of Neon and like it's kind of weird that they use that term because Neon LTS they're both using Ubuntu LTS. It's just that the Neon version is. Like Plasma 5.8 is the LTS of Plasma. So Neon LTS is 5.8 Plasma on top of LTS Ubuntu. So if you use the regular Neon and not the LTS Neon, you're going to continue to get updates to Plasma. So like 5.9. Right, right, right. But in theory, if you have an LTS desktop environment, an LTS-based distro, that could be a a pretty sweet setup for those that are looking for a powerful workstation that lasts a long time. MonkeyCom, you wanted to add something to that discussion. Go ahead. I've heard that kicked around of which one, what's the difference between Kubuntu and Neon. Well, Kubuntu is Ubuntu's way of doing KDE, and Neon is KDE's way of doing Ubuntu, and it's no. much better. No, because they're both separate. They're both different community projects. Like Ubuntu, Canonical and Ubuntu does not work on Kubuntu. So that's, I mean, that's like Kubuntu is more of a a full a full service distro it's got all the applications like ocular pdf viewers and things like that and it's all built in for you and it's got a like an email client and all this other stuff uh, kde neon is just the fundamentals of what makes the distro work and that's it you you add everything else yourself so it's more of a minimalistic with a rolling on top but there's the the one thing i would say is that if you want um if you want a KDE Ubuntu base and you don't want to do all the effort of having to like set up things up, <laughs> Kubuntu is going to do it more for you. Okay. So it depends on like your preference. I think what Wimpy said about the enthusiast, Neon is definitely more for the enthusiast rather than just give it to me and let it go. So, uh, Wimby, you say you, you noticed a lot of buzz. Uh, I, I have to notice about, about Neon, about Solus, yep. but I, of course you're being humble and not mentioning Matei, I but I, 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 I see a lot of buzz around that too. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. So 
Elementary OS, in my estimation, is probably going to be an important distribution. Is it going to be a game changer distribution, though? And something like what would be like, you know, they they have been around a while, and I feel like they, you know, it's not that they're not moving; they're doing a lot of cool stuff. It's just feels like it's a, a slower wave, a longer period. You know that like it feels like it was a long time since I was excited about their last release, and now there's the newest release, and I think there's a lot of good things, but at least in our circles, maybe there's less. Because it changes slower, there's less that we have to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I think it's because it's it's they're play, they feel like they're it feels like they're playing catch up when other DEs already have like everything you expect to mm, have. Mm. Like Pantheon for a, for a long time, maybe even still, had had no ability to always on top for a window, which seems like a fundamental in every mm. other DE. So like, but when you when the the reason why it's going to be very popular is because it's kind of like a full cohesive unit of a system, right? Right. So I guess I wanted to double down on something that Wimpy said that uh, Rotten seemed to jump in on, and it kind of made my head nod too, was that Wimpy said, I think one of the targets for Neon will be Arch users who are sick of curating their own desktop. And that hit me because I I see that sometimes, and Anna Gross definitely tries to serve that niche, but I wonder if that might be a thing over 2017. Will there be a – as these other distributions stand up and get more popular and get more software available to them and get more momentum, will there be a bit of a migration, do you think, Wes? And like as as rolling becomes more than just the Arch Gen 2 crowd, right? So it's like suddenly you have options. If you Before, it felt like it was more like, yeah. yes, you rolled and you put everything together yourself and you got this great system. But it, it could be there's an audience there that – they want the new packages. They want the fresh stuff, but they don't necessarily need to put it all together. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. If someone else is glued it in a good way. You know. So let's talk about that for a second. So rolling has has changed, uh, or not changed, but has seen it's sort of become like the the buzzword in some cases for mm-hmm. distributions. Like we're yeah, we're going to go rolling. We're going to go rolling. And you've seen some major refactorings, like on the case of OpenSUSE. You know, not this year, but just recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fedora is now talking about that. It definitely seems to have done something really good for SUSE because it feels like in our audience there's more people using it now than there used to be. Right. It still doesn't feel like one of the major big players that has a lot of the community excited about right. it. And it, it hasn't taken over the enterprise. or. Right. But it feels like it's carving out this this group of users that use it that really like it. Mm-hmm. And that's a good sign that they got, they're doing something right there and that they could be on the precipice of tipping that over. So that's been interesting to watch SUSE. Very much so. I wonder if uh, I wonder if as we go through 2017, if we'll see that them cross right, that like tipping there's point. There's been fedora rumors, yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then my friends, we have Microsoft. Oh ho, Microsoft! Oh Microsoft! You just you never know what they're gonna do anymore. Uh, and Jack thinks they're gonna open up Windows. I wonder if he. I wonder if he's bold enough to oh, predict. Oh man! I know. I wonder. Wow. If, I wonder if he's bold enough to predict the license. Uh, this might sound crazy, he says, but boy, this, Jack, man, I like you, but this is almost making me want to throw out this whole list. Uh, he says, this might sound crazy, but I think it makes sense. Microsoft stands to gain far more leverage by opening up the source for their Windows platform. Not only would this be a boon for the enterprise, it would also enable a lot of enterprise-level systems and services to better integrate with Windows. Yeah, because that's, well. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't suspect, suspect we'll actually see an open source version of Windows release. What I do believe is that Microsoft will finally become open to this idea t- and begin to see a certain validity to handling over source to their platform-specific entities. I don't, I don't follow that at all even. I don't even think they could because of yeah, IP reasons. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This just doesn't seem possible. If you remember the whole Open Solaris project and how long it took them to rewrite the parts they needed to that were you know, written by some contractor that they couldn't give out. Because they didn't have permission. I can't imagine Microsoft is any different with Windows. Mm. 
Like I'm sure there's I, tons of the Windows Core that they just didn't even write yeah. a permission to use. Yeah. I think that the recent Microsoft um, partnership with Qualcomm will have more to do with Microsoft's resurgence than opening up Windows. So, you familiar with this new new arrangement? No, tell no, me about please this. Tell us. So, um, Microsoft and uh, Qualcomm are partnering so that Qualcomm are going to provide chips for uh, Windows to run on ARM, but it's oh. full-blooded Windows desktop on ARM. And also the ability to run Windows 32-bit Intel binaries. I was going to say, I have seen this that. ARM platform. So they're yeah. going to do x86 32-bit binary emulation on ARM chips. Yeah. So that opens up the entire back catalogue of Windows software on this platform. On on mobile, which you could, could or could not be either phones, but more likely probably Surface-type devices. Hmm. There's no reason they're going to open up Windows to to do that. No, I can see them doing more open things in their cloud environments in that focus, you know, new products yeah, being that, open. But yeah, there's just no reason to go back and do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, historically, we can now look back over sort of, you know, 18 months, two years of Microsoft's behavior. And it's about um, server and enabling technologies that they've open sourced. It hasn't been core core products and it certainly hasn't been windows right so this is this has been my thought is if we watch microsoft specifically now in 2017 i i don't i think them doing much more with windows uh they're just going to i think do business as usual with windows as businesses need windows and people that are doing business want windows it's just going to be what they've always done i think what we need to watch for is the new microsoft hardware that comes out in 2017 their, their Surface Books, their home devices, the stuff that they're really kind of putting a lot of their intention and energy behind. How does that interact with Linux? How locked down is that? What is this built out of? What what can I do with this if I don't want to run Windows? Like, what, what are the answers to those questions? And depending on how close it is to, well, pretty much whatever you want or anything that can use the API or, well, if you just grab this yeah. – if the answer is getting closer to that, then that shows you what Microsoft's real intent is. If the answer is, well, you need Windows 10 and it has to be inactivated, you know, then that shows you where their where their intention's at. I would predict it's going to be the more open Microsoft. It's going to be the more, oh, they don't really care what the OS is, Microsoft. And I feel like that's the direction they're going in. And I would just expect more of that. For to go as far as open sourcing Windows... Right, I think they're playing. They're playing, making a strong play towards developers, trying to be friendly towards developers and not put up roadblocks. And I don't think the Windows angle helps them with that in the same way as the cl- open cloud API stuff does. Yeah. So we've we've just finished recording the last two episodes of Ubuntu podcast for Congrats. the year, and also for season nine. So we now take a break. So if you're an Ubuntu podcast listener, we're we're now off air for Man. two or three months. That sounds so nice. And um, <laughs> y- you want to. <laughs> You want to have a listen to uh, what will be episode 44, which is our predictions episode, mm. and what Popey has to say about Microsoft in 2017. So there's a tease for you. Mm. I will definitely check that out. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts on Chrome OS and Android merging in 2017, and if this is going to be a problem for Linux desktop. I don't. I, I hate to be like Chicken Little, but when I think about actual competition to Linux, I don't think about Mac OS or Windows, not long, long term. Not really long term. When I think of general desktop computing, business computing, people that are task oriented that are that need this type of interface for the type of work they do, software development, production, the, all there's so many categories of work that will never really work on touch. 
And maybe a lot of them always require local applications. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I just really believe that one day these types of computers, these roles, will go towards a more general computing platform. Like Linux is always what I've hoped. Um, but I, th- I feel like it's very probably going to be Android. Very likely because the industry is capable of wrapping its head around Android as a thing that it can build towards. They understand how to do product testing against it. They understand how to image and flash. It gets put in every little place you can imagine. And if they play ball, they get to take advantage of Google's APIs and services. And that makes it nice for end users because they don't have to worry about shipping software that actually is any good because they can just include Google stuff. So and it can integrate with their Android of Things, right? Of course. Yeah, I really kind of wonder if they're targeting. Are they really targeting the same audience, though? I mean, Android is tar- targeting your everyday, you know, person. I don't see many guys that are their heart, their developers, their their you know web designers, whatever. I don't see those guys going over to Android, and I think that's I think that's a large target audience that Linux could hit pretty heavily. If you can get the dev but, community, you can get the. Those guys aren't using Chrome OS either. Yeah, for the yeah. most oh, part. I know. That's I mean, what I'm saying. No, I, I agree. Actually, to be fair, I actually do it work, and I use Chrome OS oh, really? pretty regularly, but I'm mostly just SSHing into a real no. machine. So Right. I was just going to say, and you also have – your company has built you tools that specifically allow you to use Chrome OS to, to, you know, as, as, as a method of production. Most pl- people would not have those resources available. That's correct. That could just become a thing, though. Yeah. But that could absolutely become a thing. Yeah, right. Like Chrome OS is actually really usable because I'm mostly SSHing through it and I have a couple web portals I use in a mail client in the browser and all that stuff. <sighs> yeah, I can see that. that unreasonable for yep. a modern company, especially yep. if you use Exchange, you get Office 365 yeah, potentially and that true. satisfies all your browser needs. Or you use the Google Apps for business. Or use Google Apps for business. Those two things are so popular now. Yeah, it seems yeah. fairly possible. That, and then if your other yeah. work can be ported somehow, whatever it is, you basically just describe the entire computing setup for my kid's school. That's how exactly. they do it. Oh, no, really? that's not surprising wow. at all. That would actually be the like most poignant case to make is for school. It's yep. really easy to go with a Chromebook yep. these days. And that's, and that's what schools are going for because yep. they're cheap. That's what they have done. They every 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 kid in Dylan's uh, second grade class gets a Chromebook. Oh, hey. The teachers are on Chromebooks. Mm-hmm. They're on Google Apps for business. They Yeah, it's the wow. whole the whole shebang. And it's not just his class. It's that's how it is for the students there. And I don't know. I don't know uh, who's getting that big fat check. Somebody got a big fat check. Yeah, definitely. But uh, <laughs> wow. So I could just. I just. To me, this seems like this is going to spread. I can jump in real too. quick. It's free. I, I was actually just working with a client, um, and uh, and Google actually, you can work on a deal with Google. They will give you access to the uh, to the oh, admin good. console oh, and good. Google Apps for G Suite. G Suite is what they're calling it, but they give it to you for free if you're a school or education institute. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you need to you uh, need to be very careful about your definition of free here because well, free is basically hooking a generation of children into the Google ecosystem yeah. because that becomes the new normal. Whew. That becomes what you you expect to do. You thought it was bad when and, they were giving them Macs. I mean, yeah, or or Windows computers, oh. and you're bringing them up on a closed source operating system. Now you're bringing them up into you know. A whole online life, a privatized spine apparatus. With. Yeah, it's just it's just worrying. But that aside, you know, Chrome, Android blended together for you know casual desktop use, or maybe most you know um, office based jobs is very compelling. Um, but like you say, for developer stuff, maybe not so much. And also, um, Android have just announced their IoT thing, which is kind of 
just Android at the moment. They haven't mm-hmm. seemed to announce anything specifically to target it at IoT, but because of the juggernaut of Android, you can see that that's going to sort of probably pick up some um, traction um, over the over the coming year. And it'll be interesting to see how people decide to build their IoT devices and platforms yeah, I, I in think... the backdrop of 2016, which frankly has been a miserable year for IoT in terms of appalling security and carefree oh, yeah. attitude by device manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew I just could... wanted to. Ju- I, I want to quickly address. I just want to quickly address kind of what you, you know the. I, I agree that there is definitely some concern, and I definitely think that there is that we are paying a price, you know, for the Google infrastructure. But I got to tell you, Wimpy, I mean, I sat on the on the other end of a conference call with three adults that had no idea what they were going to do uh, for this infrastructure problem because they didn't have the budget, they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the money, and so when we got a hold of Google and they said, "Hey, we'll just give you everything for free. We'll give you the we'll give you the way to manage the devices and we'll give you email and we'll give you the software. Everything wow. is free." When you get all of that and then on top of that, on top of that, you have to understand when these kids leave the education institute, they are not tied to a they're not it's not like all of a sudden like with what Microsoft is doing with their office suite, after you left the student and teacher version for $140, you wanted to write a resume, then they ding those students because they didn't have the professional version for $500. It's not it's not like that. I mean, those students can go create a regular Google account and have access to all of those same tools. So yeah, is it in Google's best interest? Of course. Is Google uh, taking that information and making money off of it? Well, they say they're not, but they probably are. And there is, so there is a cost there that's, that's being paid, but I, I, I would, think that I would say I think the that real we have cost to acknowledge is that this is a huge benefit for I agree. There's a huge benefit to put computing in the hands of young children and to enable students to have access to technology they didn't have it before, and I don't think that it is too expensive of a cost. I think that is probably the better good overall, especially yeah. if a certain percentage of them become intellectually curious about how it works. But the thing that does make me concerned is it's essentially the death of desktop software. <clears throat> what student yeah. is going to come Native up on Google, Docs, yeah. on Google Docs and ever, ever, once they go start a business or they go into school, install LibreOffice and use that? That is never going to happen. It is... It is guaranteed lock-in to the Google ecosystem because it will simply be how they expect things to work, how they share information using their social network attached to Google. The way Google Docs works with links and all that, you, 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 just, you will become to depend on that infrastructure and those expectations and LibreOffice will never have a shot. In much the same way that Microsoft in, encouraged students to use Windows products from an early age throughout their education oh, yeah. all around the world – and people consequently know that as the de facto standard. And if you're not studying computer science or software engineering, it's unlikely that you will ever consider that there is anything else out there available. Exactly. Although most, mostly because of iPhone and iPod, they are aware that Mac exists. So, so what do you well, think? Be careful what you wish for. And two, <laughs> well, two, two lines from a, a, a popular children's novel, eat me, drink me. <laughs> I still think that Windows is so ingrained in the business world before kids get out of school using it. Maybe. And it, it maybe more similar life cycle. It was only what, like 15, 20 years of a life cycle of that stuff? I don't know. Microsoft, I don't know, you know, because it's getting chewed away at both ends because Microsoft themselves isn't exactly pushing Windows platforms too hard. They're moving people over to Azure and Office 365 because, on their end. So it's kind of getting chewed yeah. out from both ends. Yeah. 
I just don't think any of these things last long enough that it's really ever a lock-in because they be end right. up kind of fading and dying yeah. and things change. Yeah, and that is good for us running Linux, right? Yeah, I mean, on the flip side, it, that, not not yeah. the native apps, but at yeah, least the but base it, OS. the the platform agnostic uh, aspect that comes as a result of yeah. it is good for Linux. But that might the, not make Stallman very happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't even. <laughs> not much does. He'll, yeah, yeah. And the value of this is negative. There we go. So we're gonna switch over to uh, ask Noah in a bit. So I probably before we wrap up should uh, give you guys a heads up. I'll plug you the phone number right now if you want to call in and if you want to talk business, you want to talk Linux with Mr. Noah. 1-88-347-0011. 1-88-347-0011 if you're watching live right now. The last unplugged of the year, at least the last live one. And then then uh, next Tuesday is the Beard Spectacular clip show. Uh, but if you want to call in right now if you're watching live, if you got a question for Mr. Noah, and do you it. One eight eight three four seven zero zero one one. Okay, so there's one more thing, and this was sort of the worst of 2016. So I'm going to get to my what I think was the worst thing in Linux for 2016, and it was the vulnerabilities because oh, we weren't. Yeah. Sorry, not not only were we not not only were we not hit with. Uh, I'm sorry. How should I say this? Not only did we have a fair amount of vulnerabilities, right? Fair statement, but they were like. Super embarrassing had been around a really long time and really hollowed out the argument that thousands of eyes uh, make all bugs shallow. It really like we took a blow to one of our biggest mantras this year. I mean, we had dirty cow, we had we had shell shock, and we had just I think and all right, the botnets right that are all made it, of Linux yeah, machines. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I think we also had uh, what was the uh, was that Libre Vault? What, no, not Libre Vault. The, the SS that was was that this year? I can't remember if the Heartbleed if it was Heartbleed this year. Yeah. I, I can't call. It was 2014, okay. man. Okay, all right. It's almost been three years. It feels like it feels like we had. That's spring. that's the reason. Why, okay, this is why because it feels like we had three or four heart bleeds this year. Like one year we had heart bleed, and that was like God. That was a bad one, and we all remember it. But it feels like this year we had like three of them. Yeah, and it feels like we're on yeah. that we're that bad part of the slope where like we're finding a lot of these things, but there we're getting them fixed, and it's just. It's, it's, no, it's, we're so big now that... I'll tell you what the worst thing is. I mean, it's good. I mean, I'm very thankful for it. But the worst thing is, you know why all of these vulnerabilities are being found? Because either somebody is exploiting them or because a huge company that makes a ton of money off commercial software or stealing people's information and making ad money is doing projects because they have so much extra cash sitting around. They have projects to better their own interest in this field and are researching these. Look at like Google's Project Zero, Cisco's, others. Pro- others have things just like this that only they could sustain because they make so much money that they, they can, can fund these things. It. It's, yeah. it's not the millions of free software developers all around the world. Now, hopefully some of these companies have snatched up some of the best software developers and that's they just happen to be there. But that's the other thing I, I don't really I, – I really kind of wish we hadn't hit that so hard this year. And I really kind of wish that we – that it would have been more from the community. It would have, I would have loved to have been like independent hacker groups on the internet that have self-organized as a community and are doing this and solving these problems and have a name for themselves and are not Project Zero from Google. Right. It's it's like just a group of real people that are just out there. I, the I don't community know. making follow? itself better rather yes. than something that feels exactly. kind of like outsiders, even if those people do heavily use open source it, themselves. And I'm always very thankful that these, right. these companies right. have these projects. And it's like, okay, great, we found another one. At the same time, I'm like, I wish we could have caught it ourselves. Boy, the church is uh, stressing the uh, no press is bad press, right? Yeah. It's just kind of not what the open source developers necessarily want to do, right? Like these people who exist to find these vulnerabilities who love doing this are going to try to get paid to do it. 
And so they're going to join, you know, Project Zero and whatnot. So uh, if you try, if you're going to try to call team, Talos or whoever, yeah, they call it. If you're going to try to call Noah, it's one eight seven seven, not eight eight. I don't know why he said eight eight. <laughs> Noah, what the hell, man? What the hell? Are you in there? Are you still in there, Noah? This guy. I was about to ask about that. Look at this. What does it say? Can you read that on my screen? What's that first telegram say? Yep. What's, what's uh, that first? It those says are 877. Uh-huh. Well, okay. Now, are you going to make me take a screenshot? Are they really? See, look. <laughs> what does that first number say, Wes? What does it say? That's all eights. That's all, all eights, eights, baby. That's all eights. He tells me it's all eights, and then he sends me a correction. Hey, jerk. Hey, jerk. It's 877-347-0011. 877 we need an API call to return this. Three four seven zero zero one one. That I just can't even with this guy. I can't even with this How do guy phones right work? now. We don't know, but we're going to find out today on Ask Noah. I said just take Skype calls. That's what I say. I yeah. just take Skype. Just take Skype calls. That's that's all. Uh, the other thing that I think did kind of uh, start to develop this year is Apple did kind of have a rough year for the desktops and laptops and, and enthusiasts. The same people we're just kind of talking about, to some regard. <clears throat> Are, are, are actually – there is an uptick. Uh, the, I think the Switch is real. Based on the feedback we've been getting on Coda Radio from Mike Switch, mm-hmm. I feel like people have been following along with him because they're doing it too and they're coming from Macs. And I think that's, that's, that's been a bigger trend this year than we expected. Oh, definitely. I mean I, I, don't, I don't think we expected Apple, the alienation to, to be that real, right? Like there's always like going to be some people switching. There's like that small little, right. little flow of people but – there was I have a lot a, of people who just – there was not the computer that they wanted. They were really – you know, obviously, they, they've been waiting a long time to buy a new Apple computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it, was, it was an event that – I guess what I expected was I expected a slow burn of boredom and dissatisfaction with a platform that wasn't really serving their needs anymore. Or being innovated. But what Apple did was they dropped this huge doubt bomb, uh, this, this massive doubt bomb that said uh, to the hardcore enthusiasts, I'm not sure there's actually going to be any better Macs. Um, in fact, this is so Mark Gurman. For those of you that don't follow Apple News, Mark Gurman is probably the guy that has the best Apple sources in the tech press. Mark Gurman is uh, – he, he helped start a 9to5Mac and then because his sourcing became so good, he was able to build a name for himself. He's been hired by Bloomberg and now he writes for Bloomberg who is trying to focus even more on technology because it's a huge part of the stock market and that's why Bloomberg cares. So now Mark Gurman writes for Bloomberg and today he wrote to, uh, to diehard fans, Apple's Macintosh sometimes seems like an afterthought these days. Mac upgrades, once frequent, uh, frequent ritual, are few and far between. The Mac Pro, the Apple's marquee computer, hasn't been refreshed since 2013. That's embarrassing. Yeah, it is embarrassing. The affordable and flexible Mac Mini was last upgraded in 2014, and the new machine when the and when a new machine does roll out, the results are sometimes underwhelming, if not infuriating, to the devotees. So he says that uh, he's been uh, interviewing people familiar with Apple's inner workings, and it reveals that the Mac is getting far and far sl- less attention than it once did. Confirming all these diehards. Yeah, it seems. Like uh, Gurman uh, source says that the, the Mac team has lost clout within the famed industrial design group led by Johnny Ive and the company's software team. They also describe a lack of clear direction from senior management, mm-hmm. departures of key people working on Mac, Mac hardware, and technical challenges that have delayed the rollout of new computers. So there is a real actual lack of focus on the Mac in Apple. It's true. The Mac yeah. is actually dying in Apple. 
Now, Tim Cook, they leaked uh, they leaked uh, a for, uh, an yeah. internal forum posting saying they have some great desktops in the line. But who knows? To them, to them, the Mac, the new MacBook Pro is a great machine. They yeah. say it all the time. It's a great new They're machine. Proud of it. So the, their definition is great. It varies, and the Mac generates about ten percent of Apple sales, which is legitimately big. It's that's billions, so yeah. it's bigger than some companies make. But uh, yeah. Yeah, that is not good. That is not good for the uh, for uh, those that are out there uh, hoping to make their living on a Mac. I wonder how much this window, the bash on Windows 10, will play into that. Uh, you know, hmm. the the divergence that we see coming to Linux users versus how many developers will be more happy to stick with Windows if they can get a uh, real Unix shell going. Yeah, this is uh, think, this could be good for Linux too. Go it ahead. It could be. I was saying that I think the Windows people, the people who would stay on Windows because of the access to Linux, are the people who are already okay with Windows in the first place. I don't think so there's if they want to leave to go to Mac, then instead of going to Mac because of the new releases of the out of touch bar, they could go to Linux instead. Here's here's actually what I'm thinking. I think a lot of high end technical users that switched to Mac did it as a refuge from Windows. I think a lot of them were pissed off at Windows at the time, and they wanted something else. And the thing is, is Windows 10 is not good enough. It is, especially if you want, like, if you have any standards, if you want to have high DPI, if you want to have consistent interface, if you want normal power management settings, if you have any, like, sort of, like, particular esoteric, you know, hipster standards that a lot of people like to make fun of as as uh, quaint and not necessary, but things that people who pay attention to stuff notice. If you are a person that it, is it pays attention to detail, Windows 10 is infuriating to use. I mean, it's just it is just an absolute train wreck of a mismatch of UI and a lack of high DPI support and old rooting and typical Windows. It is everything Windows always has been with some nice stuff on top. It, so it's not going to attract Mac users. They're gonna look at Linux. They're, it's just it's. I I just I I think maybe the reason I feel the most fired up about this because I've gotten the most emails about this. We've had people following this. There's podcasters I listen to that are making a transition mm-hmm. right now because it was recommended to me by audience members. Like, hey, listen to this guy. He's doing the same thing. And it's this person has never heard of the Linux Action Show. He doesn't know who I am, and he is going through a process of switching from a Mac oh, to Linux because he didn't want to go back to Windows. Mm-hmm. And it's it's. I t- it is. I get enough input now that I feel like this is a thing that has happened. I'm not saying it's billions of people, but I'm saying it's a category of users now. And I love it. I love it. It's funny too. You kind of see this like uh, it's like they knew they they always knew they could they could do Linux, you know, but they just didn't. It wasn't. They knew it didn't have the polish they wanted, or they didn't think it had the polish they wanted. And so now there's this like. Well, now I'm forced to look, and oh, hey, it's really not well, as bad, or it's better than I thought. You know, if you're, if you, elementary exists. You know, you're starting to watch. You're starting to watch some of the cracks in Mac OS. You know, the new battery life on the MacBook Pro sucks, and of course, one of the ways Apple fixes it is they just remove the time estimate from the battery menu on mm-hmm. Mac OS. Now, you're starting yeah, that was to classy. yeah, you're starting <laughs> to see the cracks, and so it's like, well, yeah, okay, Linux has some problems, but so does Windows, and so does Mac yeah, OS. Right. So, which which ones do I want to work with this time? And then you, you know, the grass is always greener. Yeah, it's always right. Oh yeah, naturally. So WW, you were uh, you were just saying that you knew somebody who made the switch because of Windows 10 to a Mac. What happened? Well, it's actually a family member of mine because um, all all PCs come with a 5400 RPM drive, and that's what's causing part of it because Windows 10 is so heavy that you're sending people laptops with. A 5400 RPM drive in like 2016 when you should be sending them out with SSDs 
And people are having such a poor experience, or at least the people I know, that they rather go to a Mac, pay the extra money, not have the hassle of the average user and having to put up with Windows stuff and just have a smooth experience. They're willing to pay for that smooth experience that they get with Mac. Now, mind you, they're not the most technical person, but they just want a good UI, stuff that works, and, you know, maybe they'll spend more because of it. I like that theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think I'm going to just sort of sit back and just sort of keep watching Mike and watch others. Mike's also considering doing it now. He's been doing it on Linux. He's considering doing a stint on Windows and seeing if oh, he can really? get Bash on Windows wow. to work for him and do that just to give it a fair shake, too. Yeah, no, that would be actually quite interesting. Because, you, you know... I'm not going to do it, no, but I'm it not, feels yeah. like it's worth worth looking into. I think there, I did want to just sort of conjecture about one other category that I'm I'm getting sort of my opinions beginning to change from this is a toy to maybe this is something that's worth mm-hmm. taking seriously, and it's not Linux related specifically. Though I do hope I do hope open source and Linux and the entire ecosystem isn't locked out from this next category in 2017. And I think it's going to be a tight line. I really think Amazon's nailed something with the Alexa. I I thought – so I do something, you know, with the news is I, I notice when a new product comes out, there's a hype cycle. Oh, yeah. You know, it starts before the product comes out. It starts – then there's the announcement. Then there's hype till the release. Then there's release. Then there's uh, selective review uh, hype where certain people release the reviews. Then there's the limited release to the public where you start to actually get the people that are using it begin to review and comment on it. And then there's folks like me who like to use it for a while and then give you a review. So those start to pop up for a while. And then it just sort of drops down. And there's not a lot of people that usually keep talking about a product after that if it's not successful. And we don't get exact numbers from Amazon, but we know they just kind of churn them out as they can. Well, one of the things that I find to be really fascinating when it comes to the Alexa is there's, there is still a good flow of posts about people talking about things you can do with it, ways you can integrate it, what an interesting device it is, how reliable it is. Like that, those things are still being written on a daily basis about the Alexa right now. And Google's obviously interested in this right. area. Yes, very much Microsoft's so. interested in this area. Who knows about Apple, but they got Siri on the devices. I wonder if in 2017, if we will be able to be somewhat of a player in this field. I'm not really even talking Mycroft. I mean, just our stuff isn't off on its own island. We're not completely left out. We're not completely excluded from playing. Will we? And I wonder where this is going to go. And what do you think, Wes? When I look at things like the Alexa, it seems to be more open. It seems to be the more su- successful device. But so I guess I'd say, what do you mean by we when you when you ask that question? Well, when I'm using things like, uh, well, I like to use Telegram instead of right. WhatsApp. I like to use this podcast player instead of uh, instead of um, what's the one. The streaming one that combines all the shows and makes it sound worse. It's the really popular podcast player that I should know off the top of my head. I should too, but I'm, I don't it's know. It's a podcast. Oh, damn it. It's like it basically makes – anyways, there is software. There are like – there are radio and streaming services that just work with work Alexa. Work with Alexa, right. There are stuff that like when you're in their ecosystems, you work, but – I guess so. I'm talking about like the things I choose to use. I choose sure. to use Telegram like instead you're, of WhatsApp, in, or I choose if you've to made use niche decisions about the products. Maybe they're more open source friendly. Maybe they're more you know whatever. But they're not the yeah. Or maybe I have my calendar on own cloud instead of Google Calendar. Yes. Or so Next it, it really does come down to how well do these things play with different APIs? Is there interop? Is that the focus? Because right. if it is just like the three big right, and you see that with a lot of things where it's like, hey, we integrate with your favorite clouds. That means you have Dropbox and. And iCloud, and that's it, you know. So, but if it's like a hey, you can add whatever here, add your custom pro- 
drop in a URL for your calendar files and here you go. That's like a whole different story. Have you thought about picking up an Alexa? Or, I a, Google, or a Google Home? The Google Home looked a little more interesting. I didn't, when Alexa first came out, I mean, it, it was interesting. I'm very interested in like their, it seems like they've done a lot of good work with the microphones, with, you know, actually making it so that it can hear you and process your voice well, which is interesting. And I did notice... Slash the, creepy. Slash creepy. It did also seem that, at least with Alexa, they've they've kind of... And maybe because it was from Amazon, who, I mean, like, I think, like, on, on Coder, you're talking about, you know, like, you know it's like the, kind of like the big four. Or like, they kind of get grouped in differently now. So maybe it was a little more friendly. But it seemed a lot of people, like, who do value open source or free software had been playing with the Alexa in a way. So it does seem like it has some developer mindshare in that respect that maybe other devices don't. That's the way, I think that's what I was trying to say is the developer mindshare aspect of it. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I don't suppose, I'm going to roll the dice. I would, I'm going to, I don't know why I'm betting no for some reason. It's not that I think that you guys are all a bunch of haters, but I just, I'm going to guess, does anybody in the mumble room have an Alexa or a Google Home? Nope. No. Yeah. Anybody considering getting one? Oh, okay. So there is a wide range. So, Wimpy, did you jump in on the IM? Yeah. Oh, all right. Tell me about this. I'm tempted to get an Amazon Echo. So am I. Why are you? Same. Because uh, friends of mine that have experimented with it and the reading that I've done on the API, I can see how I can integrate it into projects that I'm working on trivially more trivially than the the other systems out there of a similar nature. Hmm. I uh I've been thinking about getting it because there are uh there are four I'm sorry. No, there are uh one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six lights in the studio that are Hughes lights and uh that are that are used now in production. Right. And also there's certain timer aspects that could be really handy and certain other functions like uh JBot functions that could be really oh, cool yeah. with Alexa. So I was thinking about maybe not necessarily for my house or but my RV, but for the studio, for the studes. Hey, that could be fun. Yeah. What about now, uh, Rod and I hear you jump in, so you were thinking about it too. Yeah, I'm thinking about it as well, uh, mainly because they have the multi-tier options. So it's not just like one device that you purchase that's a hundred something dollars. Like the, the the default Echo is 150. Oh, so then if you found it useful, you could slip it in in other places for cheaper. Yeah, the the Echo Dot. They also have the they have the Echo, the Tap, and the Echo Dot. The Echo is like one hundred and fifty. The Tap is like ninety, and the the Dot is only like fifty or forty, depending on if it's a discount or not. Like right now, it's only forty bucks. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you get, get all the, ben- the get most of the benefits of Alexa. right now. Oh, what? The, the deal. What? <laughs> oh no! Oh, you know, Chris hasn't gotten a, Chris hasn't gotten a Christmas present for himself. Ooh, and you I, deserve it. You've been a good boy. I have. <laughs> now, does anybody know? Can it? Can do, do, do? Will the devices work together? Can I set a reminder, say at home, and then show up at the office and have the Echo at the office help me? Anybody know? Yeah. See, I, it's time. I think it's time. I do. I do need to figure these things out because yeah. I, I, I hate not knowing. With. Well, I so anyways, I think that's going to be an interesting there is integration. I saw a video just like explaining that the, the integration exists, but I don't know like in different locations how well it works. Hmm. Fascinating. This is going to be. I think it's going to be a really interesting category. And the thing is, I don't think all of the big players that are going to get in have gotten in yet. I think there's still going to be some interesting entries. So check it out. 
Check it out. It's We'll have the links to the Echo in the show notes and the Dot if you guys are curious. And if you have one, let me know. <laughs> let me another, know how that works. <laughs> there's another thing that you might want people who are like paranoid about and always listening. The Tap version doesn't listen to you until you hit the button. Right. So the Tap version is 90 bucks. The Dot's 40 bucks, And the Big Echo is 140 bucks. Yep. So the Dot and – I don't think – is the Dot's not always listening either, right? The Dot is, is – yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. You tell me the dot does everything the big echo does. It's just not a huge speaker. Yeah, uh, it's, it doesn't have as big speaker and it doesn't have as like the the microphone. Well, that right. seems obvious then. That seems like that for forty bucks. That's an obvious way to try it you out. Just try it out. Yeah, I think, I think I'm. See, gonna... that starts tempting me too. Like, I don't yeah. need it in yeah. my life. I don't feel like I need those things. But, but for forty bucks, it seems I can, like a lot of fun. It, it, to the category is interesting no, and enough. It's better because yeah. it has the aux out and everything, so you can hook oh. it up to like a decent speaker system. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the draw to the ones that don't have the speakers. Is uh, they can be hooked up. That's pretty clever. That actually, if you go look on Amazon. Go look at the advertising material. It shows it hooked up to a receiver. Yeah, I see that. You can also to like a Pioneer or something. Also, yeah, it will that's co- what I've done. Yeah. It will so, also connect to the speakers using Bluetooth. So I could just pair yep. it to the Bose Bluetooth speaker. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the Makerspace, we, <laughs> we paired an Echo Dot to a Bluetooth speaker <sighs> to improve its um, speakers. Okay. And, du- and during Cyber Dark Black... Tuesday, Friday, whatever it's Shopping called. Day. Um, they were they were doing uh, three Echo Dots for uh, a combined discounted price of like sixty dollars or something. Wow, this is a very that's a very compelling that the, having that with the Hue lights. Oh man, yeah, and I have them here in the studio, so that just seems like a. I just want this in my room so I can be like, hey, turn on my lights when I wake up, or hey, turn them off at yeah. night without having to go hit the switch, which is really that's, far away. That's what I'm interested in because I've I've identified as a, a lights project as something that is going to have wife acceptance fa- uh, factor and also um, sort of in law acceptance factor because they've already got a sort of a lighting system. And I, I, I want to experiment with the dot to do uh, control of lighting. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, I could with I, if I got just a couple of smart plugs, I could I could make all of these lights controllable. One thing I noticed in discussions of this <clears throat> is that it, it seems like people, busy people or people with children are very interested in these products. Just in the the kind of direct accessibility, the kind of a lot of times in busy situations you have. You have you can use your voice when you can't use your hands, or sit down to do something more complicated. Well, you know, like I'm coming in, I'm coming in the door at home, and my hands are full of my bag for the day and right. my groceries. Exactly. It'd be nice, but to you just still say, need information, or you want to turn um, on the lights. Yeah. For, the, the for those other. of you, for those of you that want to do like IoT stuff, but without the development, Alexa was recently added added to Ift, so you can do if this then that rules and hook Alexa up to all the other pipes that. Um, supports hmm you know the only thing i wish does anybody know which includes hue hue lights and all the rest of it so the echo runs on what fire os what does it do is do we know what the underlying operating system is to the echo is it linux you would have to think broken it's probably not bsd it's probably Linux. <laughs> so it's just le- based on their other things. I, it's, who knows? It's I mean, safe to put in Lady Jupes. It's safe. Well, it's only Linux and J- Lady Jupes. Right. So yeah. that's that's the thing. Um, okay. Maybe uh, you have to take it down and see what well, you can find out. Now that we've all made Chris, uh, boy, I could I can actually see a pretty cool episode out of this too. I could, and then oh, yeah. and, you know, specifically talking about how to make it work with Linux. Oh my gosh! Now I'm going to sell it to myself. Ooh, I got to stop. It's I happening. Stop. It's <laughs> happening, everyone. Oh, well, I hope you enjoyed this half of the show. I don't know how much more show we have, but I want to now get us ready to transition over to Grand Forks 
North Dakota. I want to also let you know that coming up on the Linux Action Show and probably this show too, we'll be doing our 2017 predictions soon. So I'd love to get the conversation rolling on that. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. If uh, you have thoughts about 2017, you can leave it in the comments here or start a thread. I don't give an S. Or just tweet them at me, at Chris L-A-S. And uh, we'll start talking about that very soon. So what we're going to do now is a little internet magic. We'll hit pause on our end, and when it comes back, you'll be hearing from Mr. Colonel Linux. Something a little different. Live from Grand Forks, North Dakota, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. Give us a call. It's toll-free, 1-877-347-0011. One, one. And we'll talk about your tech problems or your business in tech problems. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only show that's centered around you, the audience. Welcome to Ask Noah. And as you might have guessed, I am Noah. Now, this show, well, this particular episode really was born right at the end of last. Basically, Chris said, I want to see, can we get a show up and running in 48 hours. And so this is the test of that. The job looks much easier from the outside than it actually is. To actually get all of the equipment set up, get everything tested, get levels right, get the recording set up, get the graphics rolling, all of that, it, it takes time. And so I don't have all of the equipment I want. I don't have things set up the way I want it to. But we're going to try this and see if if we can take calls, if this works. So you call in one eight seven seven three four seven zero zero one one, and we'll talk. Ask any question you want. Ask it about Linux. Ask it about technology in general, or ask it about business. We're going to start uh, going out to the phones, and uh, let's see here. Who do we have? We're going to start with do, 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 Justin from Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, so it's it's there's a little bit of a delay right now the way that our call system is set up. But Justin will be here with us in a second, and I'll take his questions. And, uh, you know, I made a post on Reddit a while back about business and how we set everything up and how we got things rolling here at AltaSpeed. And that post got so many likes and so many other follow-up questions. People sent me emails. People went online and sent in contact forms and got a hold of me. All sorts of different ways. So if you have a business question, you can answer that as well. So, Justin, you're with us, and you're here from Boston, Massachusetts, I believe. Hello. Welcome to Ask Noah. Hey, Noah. How's it going? Uh, so it's a bit of a complicated setup, but it's, um, it's, it comes down to this. I am looking at building a personal infrastructure for a replacement Google Drive. After some price hikes with Google Drive, some uh, file manipulations on Amazon Drive and other cloud services, I'm mm-hmm. really, really tired of trying to put terabytes of data somewhere that is not physically at my um, home. Gotcha. Okay. So I've got this idea of putting together a few boxes, putting NextCloud on these boxes, and, and sort of replacing Google Drive with that. Okay. However... I've heard you and Chris, among others, have some issues with large amounts of data with uh, OwnCloud and NextCloud being a successor. Right. Uh, I, I have that same worry, but I also wonder about 
multi-user support, and if you guys have had experience with that, because this is a solution for tens of people. Um, and the, the ability to scale this up, if need be. Currently, the plan is two or three machines that are going to be targeted from the uh, desktop client, and then these right. two or three machines would be their essentially their own redundancy if one goes down, the others pick up the slack and so forth. Gotcha. So I'll tell you what my experience has been. I, I was one of the early adopters of OwnCloud. Chris was as well. And we used OwnCloud extensively. And what we found was it worked fine for syncing documents, for syncing pictures. Large amount of files weren't a problem. But when you took a 20 or 30 or 40 gigabyte file and tried to sync that across multiple machines, what we found was you'd get files that were corrupted, and occasionally you'd have some files that were entirely missed entirely altogether. I have found that most of those problems have been resolved. I'm on the, I was on the last version of OwnCloud before the split, and I tried it with some test data and ran that for a while, and that seemed to work pretty well. If you watched the last week's episode of the Linux Action Show, we actually talked to Joss from uh, the NextCloud project, and they have continued to approve upon the technology and, and feature set that, that OwnCloud left behind. I have some lingering concerns. First of all, I have some concerns with the database that they're using. It is possible to swap it out. It's possible to, to point it to something uh, other than SQLite. The other thing I have a concern with is with the syncing application, it's using C-Sync on the back end. And, um, you know, the entire, you know, uh, you know, workhorse is essentially written in PHP. And I'm not a coder, and I don't necessarily claim to understand some of the underpinnings of this, but everyone that is in the know tells me that there are the the, the choices of technology that they have used, are, you know, are not the are, are not the best. I actually I'm going between two or th- I'm going between two different options right now. My my first option is I'm looking at C file for doing file syncing, but I'm actually also looking at building a file server for our company to sync all all of our files, and we're still considering Nextcloud. Yas actually talks about how they actually have deployments of, of large users, universities, so to speak. Um, and, and if you haven't seen it, I'd suggest you go check out that episode because it does a very good job of explaining how uh, NextCloud does scale. I would be willing to give it a shot, I think, if I were you. Is In fact, I'm going to do the same. So uh, with that in mind, is with your experience, how, um, how reliable is it in its uh, rescanning, I guess? One of my concerns is I've albeit in a virtual machine machine network, mm. I have set up a few instances of uh, OnCloud, and it's nice to start out by just throwing data into the uh, data directory itself and mm-hmm. letting NextCloud rescan and everything appears really nicely in the um, web interface. Mm-hmm. But that isn't always super reliable, and I've noticed that with the desktop client, certain folder names will just be ignored. Yep. For example, I have a folder called archive and I have to explicitly rescan um, with that folder being an exception was to get that folder to appear in the web archive or pulled down by other users. Yeah. Are these the kind of problems that you've had experience with? Yep. Yep. I've, I've, I've experienced almost all of those. Um, I have found that the, the way to make own cloud the happiest is to install the client, point it towards whatever directory you're going to use. And then, give it a couple minutes to kind of sync itself up and then start adding data to that directory. The worst possible thing you can do is climb in under the hood and start moving data around on the server. I've, I have destroyed my entire own cloud instance. Well, my, my user account anyway, all of my data, I've erased all of my data by doing stuff like that. So I, you know, I, I would, I would encourage you to be pretty cautious. 
you know, in, in that regard. But I think it's I think it's pretty much uh, ready for prime time. I think I would go ahead and and give it a shot. Um, and, and again, I'll be able to tell you more as time goes on because. I'm going to be implementing this myself. I'm going to try Nextcloud and and see if it works. I looked into the commercial alternatives like Dropbox, right? And that that's kind of the that's kind of the go-to if you're in the business world is you sign up for Dropbox for business, but you know, they're charging I, th- I think it's something like $9 a user or something. You know, we have a small team and it's not a you know, file syncing is not a, a central part of our business. So the idea that I would uh, I would be able to afford that kind of uh, that kind of capital stream uh, for the return on the investment just isn't there. We're going to head back over to Washington State, right where Chris came from. Sean's joining us. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Noah. Hey, thanks for joining us. How can we help today? So, uh, me and some a couple of my friends are looking at starting a podcast. Just us sitting around shooting the breeze about technology, and uh, mm-hmm. we got some mics, we got some computers. And uh, not really sure where to go there from from next. Are you guys doing audio only? Or are you doing audio and video? Uh, audio only. Awesome. So never do video. <laughs> if you go talk to anyone that's doing video on the podcast, they'll tell you that they would give they trade they trade their soul to the devil to go back in time and never do video. Um, audio is actually pretty easy to do. I I, I have tried. Uh, I've used Skype and and Mumble side by side. And um, there's a lot of people that will tell you that uh, that Skype has, you know, has, you know, is, is is a very high quality piece of software. I think Skype works okay. Um, I found that conference calling in Skype can be difficult at best. And uh, also the, um, I, I believe it's I believe it's Silk is the the codec or a modified version of Silk that is the is the the codec that's being used in Skype. My understanding is that a future version of that or a, or a built upon version of that. Is the uh, is the Opus codec, which is what which is what can be used in Mumble, and also there is a growing number of people that are using G dot. Uh, I believe it's seven two two or seven two nine, one of the two. I, I can double check and get back to you. But they uh, G dot seven two two is is the is basically what they've done is they have they have uh, built upon what was a phone standard and and built it out. And so if you look at, I actually had the opportunity to try some enterprise grade. Um, audio connection tools that were basically designed to facilitate remote studio connections, and they were using the G.722 codec. That codec is available in software like Zoiper, and so you can set up a you know an, a conference call between three or four participants or five participants, and you could actually use the exact same codec uh, as 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 the industry professionals were using. If you have mics and you have audio interfaces, and you're just looking for for the connection piece, that's an option. If you want something simpler, Mumble's a great way to go too. Yeah, because I'll be doing everything on Linux. Um, Great. The other two guys have uh, one uses Linux and Windows, and one uses just Windows. So, Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to call in again. one eight seven seven three four seven zero zero one one. That's the number. We'll take your calls. We'll answer your questions. It is, uh, it is really fun to be able to actually, uh, to actually do this. I have, you know, every day I'm solving problems on Linux. I'm going through and, and trying this stuff. I, you know, this, this Kodak thing was one thing that I was looking at, uh, at doing because obviously we're looking at implementing something like this on JB. And so as I have gone through and kind of experimented with this, I can't really make an episode about it, but Sean calls in from Washington and says that he wants to facilitate remote connection between him and his friends to do a podcast. Well, now we're talking, right? Now that's something that we can do. 
James, uh, North Carolina, you are uh, you're calling in about System D. How can we help? Uh, yes, I was calling about um, some, I guess, more general recommendations uh, with Ubuntu, and um, I primarily use Linux Mint myself. Um, switching over to System D from Upstart, um, a lot of programs that I had used for uh, programming things like automatic triggers for like mm-hmm. screen dimming when power disconnects from a laptop, or mm-hmm. things like that, uh, no longer work with System. With System D, so I was just curious if you guys have any recommendations of like programs that you can interact with those System D triggers to uh, do things. Huh, that's interesting. So I have done a number of of uh, of different upgrades in the last couple of years, moving from um, to the latest version of RHEL, which of course uses System D, and it, it's interesting. I have worked with some pretty esoteric pieces of software. Um, and I've I've not run into that issue. I, it, most of those calls are set up so that um, so that it it just translates, uh, you know, any of those uh, any of those upstart commands, you know, right to to system D. It seems like it's it, it's it's pretty smooth. Or, you know, Red SK system via it. But do you uh, do do you have some custom do you have some custom stuff that is that is written in there? Custom stuff that it's calling or custom things that it's doing? No. Um... Oh, I just remember the name of it. It's uh, called Cuttlefish. It was a program that would essentially tie into some of the triggers for things like um, when you log on, if you, um, I guess, disconnect from your session, if you um, put the laptop to sleep, wake it up, that kind of deal. Um, Okay. So you could basically connect that to any type of um, bash script and you could have it run as triggered, or you could have it do a few preset actions as well. Gotcha, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess, i tell you what I'll do. Uh, if you can, if you head over to uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link, click on Ask Noah, I don't, uh, I don't have any great recommendations for you, but I know a guy that knows everything there is to know about moving uh, older um, init systems to uh, System D, and if you send me a contact form, I will. Uh, I'll put you in contact with him, and I'll see if you guys can get together and see if you guys can can work something out. Because I, I'm sure there's somebody that that has that has has run through this. For me, it has been a marvelous experience. Moving to System D has been flawless. In fact, the only thing that I've really noticed is uh, my boot times have gone from like a minute, minute and a half down to mere seconds. That's the big difference for me from moving from the the older init systems to to System D. So I have I really don't have any complaints, and. Uh, and, and like I said, I worked with some pretty esoteric pieces of software. I worked at, with the university on uh, on some chemical calculation software that, I mean, just it was just it was a tiny little company, and it, you know, it's a very very limited use case, and all of that stuff worked perfectly, you know, right out of the box. Angela's calling from Washington. I have a feeling I might have talked to you before. Yeah, maybe, possibly. Yep. I don't actually have a question, but I I thought it would be cool to let you know. That back in 2015 at Linux Fest Northwest, mm-hmm. my friend Jenny gave you her Mac laptop and asked you to fix it, <laughs> which is laughable in its own. And you gave her a Linux laptop. Okay. She has been using that for the last year and a half, but not like super well. Sure. And she's trying to finish up her AA degree, which she only needs about three or four classes to complete. Sure. And she is choosing to go back to school and taking CIS 105 intro to Linux. Nice! With that laptop. And I thought that uh, that you should 
be able to have that credit and know that she is dabbling now in Linux um, <laughs> to a deeper level. That's all, that's outstanding. The the um I, you know it's, it's funny about that is I think I was the only one participating in that convers- conversation. I'll leave this out for you guys. So we're at dinner, and um her friend Jenny is telling me about how her laptop you know is 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 having some troubles, not working. Tr- turns out like the motherboard was like totally dead, and so I said uh, if I sent you a Linux computer, would you use it? And she's you know she kind of looks at me like I'm crazy. You know two eyes, one eye, and she's like well, yeah I guess. And so I got back to Grand Forks and I set a computer up and I shipped it off to her. And I get a message from uh, I think it was I think you Angela actually sent me a message and, and is a picture of this computer and she's like, why did a laptop just arrive at our house and what is it for? And I'm like, well, it's for Jenny. Mm-hmm. It's for Jenny. And so and so yeah. And so anyway, so that's how she wound up with that computer. It's not a it's not a it's not a you know any terribly nice computer, but it's it's something that if you're just using daily stuff, I think it gets you mm-hmm. along uh, it gets her along just fine, right? Yep, it does. It does. And now she's just going to be more confident in it and. Uh, Gosh, I feel like she's going to know more about Linux than I will after taking this course. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thank you very much for the update. And please uh, make sure to, uh, to 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 give Jenny the number one eight seven seven three four three four. Is it three one eight seven seven three four zero 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 one one three four seven zero zero one one? I have to memorize my own number. That would be good. One eight seven seven three four seven zero zero one one. One eight seven seven three four seven zero zero one one. Someday I'll have that totally memorized. Then I won't have that issue. I love giving Linux to people that don't have a predisposition to it. I love giving Linux to people that don't already have it made up in their mind that they're going to like Linux or they're going to hate Linux. Linux is going to work. Linux is not going to work. The people that can just evaluate it from the standpoint of I have a need, I have a task, I want to get that task done. How do I do that task? That's where Linux is going to succeed. Really, that's where any operating system succeeds. Because if you take me as a Linux user and put me on a Windows environment or a Linux or a Mac environment, I'm going to have a tough time too. You know, you know, I, the, I tell you what, the inspiration for the show is pretty simple. My company, AltaSpeed Technologies, we've spent the last couple of years perfecting, providing creative cost-saving solutions to our customers without sacrificing quality using open source software. And so we go into a place, to a business, that, you know, it, their budget is they spend $500 per workstation for an office suite. And we tell them we're going to provide that to them at nothing. We're, they're just going to pay us for their time. Or they say that they're paying, you know, X amount of thousands of dollars to, uh, to, to hire this in-house mail administrator guy that is going to work on this crappy exchange server that works less than 50% of the time, right? And we show them other solutions. And we're going to take that knowledge and we are going to morph that into a show and provide those answers to you, not at our billing rate of $75 an hour, but we're going to give that to you for free just by calling the number. And I, I, I think this could has the potential to morph into a really successful show. I hope it morphs into a really successful show. And so I want to thank everyone for taking the time to be here, for being you know on the phone lines, waiting on hold, particularly those of you that are calling internationally. It is a toll-free call, though, one eight seven seven three four seven zero zero one one. So I would never be... I'd never be worried about calling. It won't cost you anything. That'll bring us to the end of this week's test episode. Keep that number, guys. one 877 We'll be back with you soon for another couple of test episodes and, of course, finally the official launch of the Ask Noah program. Now, if you want to support this program as well as the rest of the network, head over to patreon.com slash today. You can directly participate in getting this program off the ground. Special thanks to Sarah, our producer, Ham Radio, our call screener, and, of course, Rakai, our editor and resident wizard. To keep up to date with what the network's doing, head over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And a big thank you to Chris and Wes for giving us this time slot. Make sure to tune in next week for their clip segment. 
Have a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and I'll see all of you guys on Sunday for our predictions episode in the next two weeks. You guys have a great night. Um, we have, who do we have here? Do, 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 Ryan, Portland, uh, Port Orchard, Washington. Welcome to Ask Noah. Hey, how's it going? Excellent. How can we help today? Oh, so, uh, you mentioned on an episode of last recently that you switched over to Arch. Yeah. On your, on all your boxes, because you were thinking mm-hmm. of all the, you, you kind of like little things like, uh, functioning network manager and all. Right. Yeah. I'm uh, weird like that. I really prefer my wireless to work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, what are you trying to live in the future or something? Come on, man. I know it's crazy. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a whore for the details. So I was, I was wondering what made you choose Arch specifically over something like Ubuntu Mate, which doesn't seem to have all the same issues as start or as uh, standard Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. A couple of things. The first and foremost factor that really led me to Arch was these days I move more and I'm spending more and more time doing things for Jupiter Broadcasting, and so. It makes a lot of sense to use the same environment stuff that the that the other people you're interfacing with do, right? And that was one of the reasons that drew me to Fedora early on is because I was dealing with so, so much Red Hat that it just made sense to have Fedora on my desktop. And these days, you know, every Sunday at least I'm doing something. And, you know, if there's an app pick that we're doing that week, it's really nice to be able to have access to the same applications um, as everyone else. And then the other side of it, too, is that, you know, I, I have some ground to step up on and say, okay – I tried Arch. I ran it for X amount of months. Here's why it didn't end up working for me, and then I then I can put that 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 baby to rest. Then I don't have to I don't have to constantly because right now, or at least prior to that, it was always well. I'm using Ubuntu, and there's all these people out there telling me that there's this better Linux experience available. Really, what I found is I have probably the same amount of problems. I just they are more solvable. Number one, number two, I expect to have to solve them, and number three is they're not. Well, that's not entirely true. Some of them are kind of show-stopping problems, but they've so far they've all mostly been solvable or tolerable. And not having wireless in Ubuntu was not that way. Now, as for why I didn't choose Ubuntu Mate, the Mate desktop does not offer the ability, at least out of the box, I think they're including it, to launch an application by hitting the super key. And I have it, it is so ingrained in my mind when I want Firefox, I hit super key, F-I-R-E, enter, and then I expect Firefox to be on my screen. Or super key, T-H-U-N, enter, and I expect Thunderbird to be on my screen. Without those, you know, it, it's a difference in how I use the computer, and I, I'm really not willing to make that change. Now, there are things you can do. You can, you know, use Synapsis. In fact, I think they're including, uh, you know, a launcher by default. But it's, it's I, I see Ubuntu Mate as my utilitarian type distro. So the computer I'm on right now, for example, is running Ubuntu Mate because it's just, it's an appliance. It's a computer that needs to sit there and it doesn't need to be pretty. It doesn't need to switch desktops. I just, I need to open OBS, for example, and just have it run. That was not the case. That is not the case uh, with, um, with, with, uh, you know, on my desktop, on my laptop. So that's, I mean, that's, that's the short answer. Why, uh, why I wound up on, on Arch mostly happy the, the 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 latest thing that really bit me that i was super upset about was i went to uh, open lightworks to edit a or not not lightworks uh, inkscape to edit a uh, a graphic and inkscape just wouldn't load like i would click on the icon nothing would happen so i had to drop to the terminal and then i ran the inkscape command 
And, uh, you know, and then it gave me some error that I didn't entirely understand. I had to Google the error and then I'm going through and I'm going around and somewhere through there. I was like, you know, I have some tolerance when it's TeamViewer or some other non, you know, proprietary piece of software. But like Inkscape, Inkscape's like a huge vector graphic, open source vector graphic editing suite for Linux. How in the world do you get to a point where you can't, uh, where, where that doesn't work? How is that a thing? I, it just doesn't even make sense to me. So I was a little upset by that, but... um Got it to work, and I guess it's it's worked now so far.